Welcome to the latest episode of Take Back Our Schools. I'm Andrew Gutman, along with my co-host, Beth Feely. We are two accidental activist parents who spoke out about what is was going on at our kids' schools. Now we talk to like-minded people who are helping expose and solve the problems of education. Today, we have sort of an interesting guest in that um, she is another uh, activist parent who mm-hmm. spoke out about what was going on at at her neighborhood schools, uh, Betsy Hart. Betsy is a freelance development writer for a variety of nonprofits. Previously, she was a syndicated columnist and served on President Reagan's White House staff in the Office of Communications. Uh, Betsy was a founder of a parents group called Parents of New Trier, now I think known as New Trier Neighborhoods, New Trier Neighbors, a local citizen group that keeps an eye on local issues, including school issues in the north suburbs of Chicago. And if that sounds familiar, it is because it is the same organization that our beloved Beth Feely is a Mm -hmm. co-founder of and is involved with. Um, And uh, that organization was born out of a controversy about five years ago that we are going to talk about and was the subject of a very recent, we'll call it an expose in Mother Jones magazine that we are also going to talk about. So um, Betsy, thanks so much for, for joining us on Take Back Our Schools. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Welcome, friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you want to, should we start maybe and just kind of go back five years ago to 2017 and talk about what started all this hubbub and, and controversy and uh, an organization that was sort of the beginnings of this parents' rights movement, as sort of Mother Jones described it. All right, well, I'll be happy to, to jump in. Sure. Um, I was a little bit new to the whole schooling system here. I had moved in a, just a few years earlier. My kids were getting into the local schools. And I received this email, and actually it was in 2016, about um, a, a seminar day, a racially-based seminar day. And I had really not gotten something like this before. And I looked at it from um, Tim Hayes, who was the assistant principal for um, what, what I, I almost want to say student services, I think it was. That, but in any event. Um, so it, it, it just had to do with a clearly, really politicized left um, directed quote seminar day to discuss issues of race and to have I always love the uh, courageous discussions, courageous conversations. Of course, the courageous conversations they allow are only those within a certain um, wing of the the left woke um, ideology. But I wrote back to to Tim Hayes and I expressed my concern. I really didn't hear much about it. But then a year later, it started again. And this was in late 2016. Um, And this time I went to a school board meeting and I was shocked at what I was beginning to see and sort of these racially based exercises that they wanted the parents in the room to do to show us how racist we were and why this this seminar was needed. And I I guess I said something that night that that somebody else in the room um, who later became part of our group noticed, even though she didn't know me, and then she ended up going to Beth Feely and saying, I think there's somebody who's of like mind, but we don't really know who she is. And then Beth, you can kind of take it from there. Does that sound about right? 
Yeah, I, I remember that. Yes, a friend of mine and I, because I was not there for the 2016 version. I was, I did not have a kid at the school, but this second one I did. And I remember talking with this friend and she said, you know, there was this really well-spoken woman who, uh, you know, gave a, a great speech, expressed a lot of what I was thinking. She had red hair and I said, that's Betsy Hart. And so <laughs> that's how I remember making that connection. So yeah, it was the, the three of us plus another and we formed uh, parents of Nutrier to really get information out about this seminar day that they were putting on. And importantly, I think that, you know, we, we wanted to get information out, but it wasn't until after we had gone to the school and said, could you please be- give some balance to this day? This is very ideological, one-sided, and they just were not representing views of, you know, independent, let alone conservative people. Um, on this issue of race. And so that was where um, that movement was started. And, um, and that they, as we, you know, they refused to listen. We were, we were these gadflies to them. We were these silly parents to them. And this was long before this movement really happened all over the country. So we were, we were of no interest to them. They met with us because they wanted to be able to say they did. That and how many of there were you? I mean, you said he started four. with three, but, but how four? Okay. Four. At, for, at first, okay. at first. Yes. And then it grew. I mean, it was, I will say at the, at the time, you know, we had no idea how people really felt. Cause again, this is five years ago. Um, we are still in the throes of the very politically correct culture that really thrived, you know, during the, you know, early 2000, 2010s. And so it was a little difficult. I mean, we did, we just had no idea how people would react, but it did definitely grow over time. And so there was, I don't know, a core group of 20 to 30 that were kind of there. And then we, we did a petition, which grew into the hundreds. Um, so, so there were far more, far more people out there that agreed with us than, than the initial four. Right. Uh, but it was definitely around a kitchen table and, um, you know, people who were not political activists, but sure learned quickly, you know, what was involved with getting, making our voices heard. We learned pretty quickly what some people thought. So what we had people coming to us and saying, I so support you. I cannot say this publicly. So that was sort of in and of itself kind of instructive. But then we learned very quickly what the local community thought and the, um, if you will, the, um, what do we want to call them? The, the sort of the doyens of the local Nutrier community who style themselves as the know-it-alls and the conduits to the local school boards and such. And they started firing back and being um, not just angry, but duplicitous, mischaracterizing us, you know, the usual stuff. Mm-hmm. And it started getting so loud and so personal as we gathered publicity and as we started getting into some of these national news outlets that I literally started making any dinner reservations or doctor's appointments or frankly, nail appointments with my husband's last name instead of mine. I just felt, I just didn't know what, what was going to happen out there. So I was, I actually got a little careful for a while, right? Beth member. Oh, heck yeah. And, you know, Betsy drew most of the fire because I have to admit, even on those in those early months, I was nervous about being public. Um, I had never done anything like this before. And when you start getting called these names, especially when you're not used to it, I think, um, you know, a lot of people on the other side, I think were more seasoned political operatives and kind of knew more what they were doing. But 
it was, um, it was, I've described it as trial by fire and it really was, but Betsy um, was quite frankly, brave and really one of our spokespeople. So um, she, yeah, she, she, she bore the brunt of a lot of, a lot of mean people, um, especially in those early months. Was it easy at that point to get media attention? I know, I know Betsy, you had, you know, access to the media. I mean, was that, was it an issue that, that brought attention? Only when it became, you know, very controversial with both, you know, with, with the other side kind of, you know, kind of. It was not difficult. I mean, Betsy, do you agree? Because I I think just because of the nature of the story, it was so controversial. If you just read through the course descriptions that they offered, I mean, these are things titled like Western bias in science and a people's history of Chicago in the tradition of Howard Zinn. Like they weren't really hiding what they were doing. Um, So I think people were pretty eager to pick up on it. And it just you know, it started on a local radio show and it just, it just picked up like wildfire from there, ending up on CNN, Wall Street Journal, um, just on local TV. So, 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 so I would say, no, it wasn't very hard. Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting as the movement, as what we were doing gained strength, as we became sort of the center for this, you know, we just wanted balance. We said, Hey, can we just bring in a couple um, of, of speakers that we would suggest that would really actually have courageous conversations about race. Um, and so, again, it was only when we were shut down and then we began to be attacked by the school and the actual um, Linda Yonke, the um, superintendent at the time, literally made the claim that we were, what was it exactly about that we, we denied the history of racism in America. So it was yeah. so outrageous yeah. and so utterly and deliberately mischaracterizing everything that we were saying. Um, I think that was that was a little dispiriting, right? When we people who knew better, who should have been in the middle of the road, who should have been open to what we were trying to say, when those people deliberately, um, the people we're paying on our you know, payroll um, became attacked us. That you know, that's when you just started thinking, what, like, what are these people so upset about? What, what are they, what are they defending? What are they, what are they so closed to? And then since then, with the rise of woke ideology, we've gotten a better sense of what was going on at that time. And don't forget, Trump had just been elected president. There was just a lot going on. Um, but it was very interesting. And once it got into the national news and we were really under attack, um, uh, we actually, Nutra Neighbors, hired a local publicist who's fairly conservative and had been recommended to us. And she was all excited to, to help us out. And then three days later, she called me and said, I have to back out of this. I have a client who is conservative who has told me not to touch this issue or this group with a 10 foot pole. And that was really amazing when you realize that people who actually probably shared the right idea of of what we should be doing and we wanted to add balance and have real diverse viewpoints and talk about these things. We weren't trying to, to shut people down. We were trying to open up discussions to have those people turn on you was really something. And so then now to look back on where America is on these conversations now and to think, you know, okay, yeah, we were taking some slings and arrows at the time, but truth really has a way of getting out there. Do you feel like a pioneer given where we are now? 
That's a good question. Beth, why don't you talk about that? You know, I guess a little, although I don't think we set out to be pioneers. I think we were just responding to a situation that we saw. And I think Nutrier just was perhaps ahead of the curve and, you know, also had done, had put on this, this program in a very public way. And so it, you know, it, it obviously drew attention. Um, so yes, I think in retrospect we were, and as do as you nice think, can I was, did they, did, I mean, that's interesting. Did they, do you think they put on this program, this seminar day to get more attention than just educate the kids on what they wanted to educate them on? No. I mean, no. Betsy, what do you think? Oh, totally agreed. Yeah. They, they just wanted their own little bubble of racialized teaching And the last thing they wanted was for parents in the community, much less people around the country to have an idea of the kind of ideology and that was coming out of the school. So, um, no, I think that that missed them more than anything else. And we had people, you know, this should have been an interfamily discussion. You shouldn't have, you know, gone, gone national. Well, it wasn't like we went national. It's just the issue itself caught on. And we did try to have an inter-family, if you will, discussion with Nutrier, and they weren't interested. I think, if anything, it reflects that they, it's kind of telling that they they didn't expect this kind of backlash. Right. I think they perhaps don't interact enough with people who disagree with them. And interestingly, in a meeting that my husband and I had after the fact, because my daughter was humiliated in front of a teacher, a teacher humiliated her in front of class for not attending. And, you know, we had this discussion with this assistant superintendent. Wait, who not said, attending seminar day, just to be for not attending yeah. seminar day. Right. And, um, you know, he basically said anyone who doesn't believe in institutional racism should not have a seat at the table. Literally said that. And I thought, wow. So, yeah, I think what we realized, and again, this goes on with so many people we see today is they literally do not understand there are diverse and different ways to intellectually engage with integrity and see issues differently. And when you think about it as conservatives, we know the arguments because we're immersed in them through the media, through the institutions, et cetera. The the left really has no idea how or what conservatives think. They really, I mean, you know, Beth and I have talked about this. We could take any position of the left that you want to name. And I, either one of us could make an incredibly convincing case from the left-wing perspective for it because we know their arguments. They cannot do that when it comes to conservative issues. They they are like fish in a tank. They don't know that people live outside the tank. And it, it's just continues to fascinate. Yeah, well, I, I mean, we saw that with the elections this 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 week. I it, all right. So you you know, you used the word, I think it was quoted in this Mother Jones piece. You actually used the words critical race theory. Um, I don't have the exact quote. You know, this is years before it was popularized by people like, you know, by Chris Rufo and then became this, mm-hmm. you know, national issue. You know, how did you come across terms like that? I mean, systemic racism, I think, was just getting started in the national, you know, media attention. But, you know, you were well ahead of the curve. Well, I think it was a couple of things. First is I've been around the movement for a million years. Um, You know, I I come from uh, some academic lineage that that follows these things and and sort of talked about them. And Beth was the one who at that time was really digging into the history of where a lot of this came from, um, its communist roots, reading and studying Howard Zinn. And she may have actually been the one who put those words 
together for me, I was familiar with the fact that this was now moving from the university into the schools. That was not, I don't think that was news to me in any way, but I think that um, Beth sort of crystallized that in looking at how deliberate that was. That was not accidental. It was not unavoidable. Um, or it was not, or it was avoidable, um, but it was very deliberate. And so I think with some of that input in our discussions is probably what caused me to use on that faith, faithful day and that faithful <laughs> um, uh, radio interview. Debate in air quotes, right? Yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> that was referenced in the Mother Jones piece to, to use that term. Um, and I didn't realize that it was actually, you know, one of the first times, supposedly, according to Mother Jones, but there you go. <laughs> take, take credit when you get it. So, yep. so Betsy, I have a question. Exactly how much dark money did you receive during the whole? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that was the funniest part. Um, I think I'm oh still in the hole from that whole effort. I think you are too, Beth, in terms yeah. of what, what we moms chipped in. And we might have had a, a couple people in the, you know, the neighborhood give us a couple, maybe 25 bucks. I don't know. Um, but the idea that we were being funneled with dark money from the others, it was just absolutely hilarious. And, you know, one thing I will say, Beth, um, going back to what you mentioned before that I was kind of out front, um, that, you know, I, I was just blessed to be able to be in the sense that I, at the time worked for a major conservative think tank. My husband's a faculty, um, on, on the faculty of a major university and has tenure people like us should be the ones who are out in front because there are people, we had somebody on our group who was a, a local business person and could not reveal who she was. And we understood that. And so mm -hmm. those of us who were frankly in more safe positions, now I wasn't really safe from my kids being upset with me, but I think even they years later have come around to respect what we did. Um, but in any event, I'm just, I'm just imploring those who have those positions of safety to use, to use their voices, because there are lots of people who, who genuinely can't in our mm -hmm. culture today. Do you think it's easier now with all that's going on for those people to speak out or harder or the same as it was back in, you know, 2017? I don't know. I mean, I think that's a good question. Beth might, might have a better feeling on that. I certainly think it's easier and faster for people to get canceled today. Yeah. yeah, but I think I, I I find more people willing to speak out, even people who are a little reticent to do so. And I just want to piggyback on something that you said. You know, clearly I was one of those people. I I I felt like I had to stay behind the scenes, and then gradually, you know, it just I, I forgot it. I, I don't think it was intentional, but I it became known. And I have to tell you, I would not go back. I would actually encourage people to make that effort and stand up for what you believe in, because it is a much better way to live. And yes, you know, as long as you are doing it in a, you know, fact-based professional way, you know, no ad hominem attacks, just, you know, wanting to have discussions. Um, if anything, we need more people to do that. And it really, I, you know, it's energizing. I think it is perhaps a little scary, but it's really, um, I think the key to really moving the needle on this issue is that we need, I appreciated, yeah, 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 I appreciated Betsy um, being out there at the fore, but we need more people backing the Betsy's up. Well, and Beth, you came, I mean, you were so quick to just jump into that lane. And then we got to the point, you know, further down the road where I would kind of say, okay, Beth, maybe we could hold back. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but it was great. It was, it was great to see that. 
And um, two other just quick things I want to touch on um, in whatever time we had. One is that um, pretty soon there was a school board meeting that had to be moved to. I mean, now we see this, but this was not seen at the time. This was only a few years ago moved to the largest auditorium of the school because it went from being a couple dozen people to school board meeting to say, oh, I don't know, a thousand. Um, but as part of that, the other side, which totally was, you know, and again, we were trying to very fact-based, no ad hominem attacks, very gracious. You can look at all of our communications and that comes out. The other side didn't care. They were smearing, they were lying and they brought people in. Mm-hmm. from around the communities. Remember they the nasty woman shirted shirt, yes. people? Yes. I remember them. They brought in people to fill that auditorium. They worked to keep our people out. It was very interesting. Um, and then second, there was a group that actually, while accusing, accusing us of taking dark money, had actually used this to fundraise for their organization, but they hid the connector button on the internet. So you know how sometimes you have to really dig to find out where the money is going. They said it was going um, to help their little petition drive, but in reality it was going and significant amounts were going to the organization that really was um, secretly actually getting the the funds and promoting their own business. And we have all that um, on the record to this day. But I'll tell you one less encouraging thing, at least, and then I'll stop talking. You can pick up on any of this that that you like, is that following the whole thing, seminar day actually happened. Then there was a local election and then things settled down. And then I got a call from the new um, chairman of the board of Nutra High School. And he said, you know what? We realize there's there's parents out there who are concerned. We want to hear what you have to say. Can we get a small group together and start talking? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I, you know, that was a little rough because they really kind of insulted us very personally in some of these instances. But um, at that point, we thought the benefit of having that conversation, injecting it into the school and having that conduit um, outweighed, you know, let bygones be got bygones. And, we, and since then, that really has been, um, has been productive. We'll be back right after this. Hey folks, James Lilix here for the Ricochet Podcast. You know, the Ricochet Podcast, the flagship with Peter Robinson and Rob Long. Midterms are over. What to make of it all? Uh, Don't ask us. We've got an expert. We've got a smart guy, Luke Thompson. Listen to what he has to say on the next Ricochet Flagship Podcast. So they did not do seminar day again for the next few years. Correct. Was that by design? I mean, is that because of the impact that your group had? I mean, what's your sense for for the effectiveness of the pushback? Well, I I think can I jump in here for Please. a minute? I think they're um, they didn't do one day because I think they don't want to be I think a tactic. Well, I mean, okay. even attack. I would call it more addressing issues. Um, but they've embedded all of the material, and they actually referred to this in this Mother Jones article, mm-hmm. right. uh, which people c- can read, um, that they wanted to make it part of daily conversations. So yeah. 
Um, I don't know that that's a total win, but I think it is, it was a recognition that like Betsy said, that there were other views. And so uh, we also were able to get uh, the school to sign a statement that basically said they will, they, they think that it's important to honor other views in the classroom. And so that was, I think, a real win as they have these now daily conversations about race and gender and all of these other identity politics types issues. But have they executed on having alternative viewpoints in the classroom? I mean, it, it, I mean, is there is there any impact of of them agreeing. I mean, I know, I know you're referring to you sort of, you had the, the first Chicago statement principles, right. Of any, mm-hmm. I think um, high school or public high school or K through 12, but I mean, do, do you see them giving alternative viewpoints, having the kids read other viewpoints on these issues, or are they doing the same thing that, you know, every other public school and, and private school seems to be doing? That's better because she has actually still kids in the school. Um, my sense is that there, there were some improvements, but what it really does is it allows us to go to school board meetings and saying, this is the standard that you set and calling on them and trying to at least publicly hold them accountable to that standard. Right. So it's allowed us to get that. Beth, what do you think about the nuts and bolts? I would agree with that. And then we do know anecdotally that parents have referred to it. And these are parents who tell us, it's not like the school is calling us up saying, hey, we're making great headway with this statement <laughs> and teachers are doing X, Y, Z um, because that, you know, they're, they're, they're just not. But I do think it put a stake in the ground. Um, I'd like to think that for some teachers, it is perhaps they're thinking again about or thinking twice about how they would present a lesson. Uh, you know, are they, has it been a sea change? No, but it's also a big organization. And I think it's probably, you know, probably and fairly would take a little bit of time to embed it. Um, But they have, you know, made presentations at the board meetings, how various departments are implementing this statement. So I think they are, um, they're, they're referencing it and they are in their own way attempting. Um, There is probably a lot of room for improvement from my perspective. Um, But, you know, but it is, it is progress. So I would say baby steps. Just that there's some of the presentations from departments have shown they clearly don't understand what the statement is, that that um, including intellectual diversity in the foreign languages department means having more, um, you know, more Mexican cooking classes or something like that. They truly don't get it. Others have shown a little we're, you know, reading a, a wider variety of material or we are exposing kids to this you know, viewpoint that we haven't really brought into the classroom as much, you know, that kind of thing. So again, to best point, it just, it varies significantly. So this, this article in, in Mother Jones comes out a few weeks ago called <laughs> the, the right-wing attack on public education began in one elite Illinois high school. Um, what, what, you know, what's, what's been the ramifications of that? Anything? Of the piece itself? Of the piece itself. Yeah. Or what motive? So, what motivated that piece? I mean, this is now they're talking about things that happened five years ago, giving you guys credit, really, for uh, you know being pioneers, as we talked about earlier in this parents' rights movement. Um, you know, why why does this come out now, and and what's been the impact? Beth, I think you have more of a a sense of that because they reached out to us to talk about it with them, but but before we yeah. could even decide whether or not to call back, the the piece was out. So. Um, I know we had some local people who still 
cannot get over what happened. And they're sort of, I mean, they're frankly kind of seen as just, they become a little bit of a, of a, I have to say kind of a joke in the community and not taken seriously. They're still living in the 2017 timeframe. Beth and I have moved on and we're having, and Beth is now leading Nutri neighbors, fascinating discussions, speakers, you know, several hundred people coming to our events, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we've really risen and created a dynamic um, place for intellectual thought and diversity, and we're attracting people. And some folks, I think, being irritated at that, maybe decided it was time to go back to 2017 and reached out to try to, that's my understanding, that that they were trying to generate this, I think, in the hopes of taking Nutrient Neighbors down a few pegs, believe it or not, that people could be that um, petty. But I think that was the the hope and it, it just didn't happen. But Beth, you might, do I have that about right? I think so. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this had been fed to this publication um, by some of the the, the and, people and it locally sounds here. Like it was when you have some people referring, you know, in these little niche conversations of how they've been working this piece for six months. I mean, I, I you know, I think we can sort of, you know, get the idea that that's that's where it came from. So yeah, I think it's, but it's funny. I think I think it was probably intended as far more of a hit piece. Yeah, and exactly. if anything, I think it kind of. You know, I think it did a, a reasonable job. I do think that there were some places where the language that they used was, you know, Mother Jones like and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. reflecting of kind of the left leaning nature of the publication. But I think got, um, you know, quite a few things right. And if anything, I thought was fairly accurate when it was talking about, you know, things that we said in public. Um, you know, a couple of the, the people they talked to, you know, here's one thing from the article I wanted to mention. One of the alternatives that we re- recommended instead of seminar day was to go down to the south side of Chicago and spend some time in the uh, Woodlawn neighborhood, uh, which is a low income neighborhood. And so we actually took some kids down there and I thought it on was seminar interesting day. on seminar, on seminar day. day. Yeah. Um, and we had a great group that went down there. My daughter still talks about it. So I thought it was very interesting in the article when they were talking to people, um, you know, getting quotes that one of the things that Nutrier used to do that they were lauding as a good idea was doing that very thing. So mm-hmm. I thought that that was kind of, you know, <laughs> full circle. And I was told the, the article is, is being taught in, in Nutrier's civics class or, or being used. Yes. Is that, is that right? Yes. It was assigned, uh, I, I believe yesterday, um, as discussion material, it, it's in social justice and civics class, social yeah. justice and civics class, yes. social justice. Oh is that a gosh. new class? When, when did that class arrive? Is that, did that come out of this? Seminar day or okay. I don't know. Um, I've never heard of. I've heard of civics class, not social justice. And yeah, class. I had not. I did not know there was. I knew that it was a class at universities. My kids have all, you know, had them. I'm sure, but um, did not know that was a class at New Trier. And it just is so, um, you know, it's indicative that this stuff. It's 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 come more to not light. surprising. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's come more to light in the last several years, yeah. and certainly mm-hmm. with COVID. But it's. It's been circulating for a long time. Yeah. You know, so they assigned this and I think if they would have assigned, and I don't know if they did or not, but like the Wall Street Journal article, for example, that came out a few years, you know, several years ago about this, that, that might've been kind of interesting. I mean, to the extent that this is worth talking about still. Yeah. 
So were there were there any school board elections this this week in your area? No, I no? think those okay. are in the spring. I think we're oh, on okay. that. Yeah. Okay. So that there timing. we have off year school board elections. So those will be okay. in um kind of mid spring of twenty three. And are they they active like you know and politicized like in in many other areas now? I mean, is there more attention paid to them than there there were a few years ago? Um, there may be more attention paid, but we have a very strange process here that there are caucuses that are kind of self-appointed, but they've been doing this for a hundred years. They're kind of these self-appointed, again, the doyens of New Trier Township, and they sort of choose the candidates to run. So it's a very antiquated, talk about, um, I don't know, voter suppression or whatever, because they, they so kind of lock up how school board candidates can be elected that it's not the same free-for-all you're seeing in some other areas. Um, and so it, it, that, that caucus system is beginning to disintegrate, but it's going to take a little more undoing before you'll really see some free and fair school board elections here where we can make the kind of progress that people in... Um, you know, Northern Virginia and other areas have done. Yeah, well, it's Illinois. Right. Well, right. thank you. Hello. <laughs> ding, ding. Yeah. So, as, as, as a former New Yorker who just moved to Florida, I see, uh, I see the differences. Very good. So, so I have a question, Betsy, in a self-reflection mode, do you think that we should have done anything differently five years ago when we went about this? Um. I think we could have crafted, I think we were a little naive in how antagonistic those woke folks in place were going to be towards us and how willing they were to lie about us and talk about this dark money. I don't think we anticipated that. I think we anticipated, frankly, kind of good faith arguments and discussions and, and so forth. Um, I think we anticipated that. I don't think we anticipated the ugliness from the other side or, you know, and also I don't think we anticipated that how many people were so upset about Trump winning in 2016 and they would use this as a way, one of their first ways, because this was January, 2017, Mm -hmm. one of their first ways to really go vitriolic and crazy and do the whole sort of, um, uh, you know, resistance movement, they used us as a vehicle for that. So I think we were not, we did not see that coming. Had we, I think we might have been just a little more um, deliberate, proactive in our messaging. We probably would have lined up a PR firm first. We would have really thought through where and how do we need to be connecting with people in a way that makes sense before the mob awakens. And that would be the one thing I would say we'd be more thoughtful about and less naive. Mm-hmm. So, but it, I think speaks a little to the, you know, just genuine moms around a table reaction really that this was in its roots. So I would agree. It would have been nicer to have been a little bit more prepared for the onslaught. Um, however, right. you know, you live and learn. And, you sure do. Uh, yeah. You sure we do. Were, I, have you seen a movement in, in over the five years of this, you know, five or six years of this organization? Maybe you've seen a movement in parents and their views on these issues, or is it pretty much the same as it was then? I mean, the same, you know, politicized, you know, 
nature that it was back in 2016 or 17. Beth, why don't you? you want, I was going to say, you want to take that? Um, I think there's been a movement. I, I think far more people are willing to speak out. You know, I'd love to see more, but I, I don't know. What even though, even of the ones that don't speak out, let's say, um, you think there's a shift in, in people seeing what's really going on, I, I, you know, specifically on sort of the race issue, because that was, you know, what, what launched, you know, your organization. Um, or, or is it the same you kind of left right split that it was then? You know, I, not- I, I'll jump in here. I think there are more and we've seen we, we have seen neutral neighbors really grow. We have seen people are on waiting lists to get into our events and they could just be an event with a, a, a John Cass, who's a terrific local Chicago based writer, um, huge event for him. And, you know, literally waiting list to get in at one hundred and fifty and so forth. So people who at one point, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't have wanted to have been um, associated, quote unquote, with Nutria Neighbors. Now that's not an issue at all. People are much more open. We've given them sort of a, a platform and and Beth is really doing the heavy lifting of Nutria Neighbors. And she's now, and she's just done a, a terrific, terrific job. Um, so we're definitely seeing that. I also think that COVID and the way more parents were exposed to what's going on in the classroom really surprised a lot of people. And then the lockdowns in Illinois infuriated people left, right, and center. And those people are now, we're getting a little more from them in terms of being open to the kinds of things that we're doing and information we're providing. So there's definitely been a movement um, that was accelerated by COVID and the unconscionable lockdowns. Yeah, no Mm -hmm. disagreement. And I'd agree. I think over time, if just real quickly over time, I think we've always maintained integrity. I think we, anything that we publish, we back up. We've always tried to run, you know, this operation, um, in a, you know, positive way. And our views might differ with people, but, um, but that's, you know, that's the gist of, of why we exist. And so I think that that has earned us a little bit of, um, you know, I think people are are more open to that because we, we aren't, we aren't trying to do just hit jobs on people. We're just trying to share different views. You know, Beth, and that's, I think it's a really good point that we can say Nutra Neighbors is very well respected. Unlike some of these attempts to, you know, create some silly videos that attempted to take us down and other nonsense. And the people behind those are are kind of seen as jokes, um, I have to say, whereas Nutra Neighbors has gained the respect of people across the board, because for years we've been putting out good information in a very um, thoughtful and discerning way. And we have definitely seen that, that um, there's just no longer a sense of, oh, those people over at, at Nutrient Neighbors. It's very much a part of a respected mainstream group. In fact, you know, it's funny that for the recent parade, the, you know, the Wilmot Village Board called Nutrient Neighbors, do you want to be in our, you know, 100th anniversary parade? You know, things like that. We're just, we've really kind of cut through to the point where we're taken very seriously. And um, I think that's been encouraging. Well, good for both of you. Betsy, thank you so much for joining us on Take Back Our Schools. To Beth and Betsy, thank you for being pioneers and helping to launch the parents' rights movement before any of us knew there was a parents' rights movement. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Betsy. Hey, listen, thanks so much for having me anytime. Thanks for all the great work you folks are doing with this podcast and getting the word out and um, go parents. Go parents. Okay. Bye. 
I was kind of a guest, kind of a host today. <laughs> I sound a little yeah, bit on both yeah. sides of that. Uh, but boy, it's kind of interesting. It really is interesting to think back five years ago, almost six years ago now, with all of that unfolding and how much things have changed. And I, they've definitely changed for the better in the sense that so many more people have uncovered these issues and are addressing them in their own schools. So it feels a lot less lonely and um, it's good to, yeah, no, I think it's, so I think it's progress. Yes. The question is how much of an impact are we having in what is really going on in our schools? (laughs) But but listen, this is, we've said this many times. I mean, this is right. The, the, they took decades to march through the institutions. Right. And now we have woken up and you guys, you and, you and Betsy woke up earlier than most of us and started this, but we have woken up now and have to start doing the reverse. Yeah. And it's going to take a long time. It is. And, you know, some of these topics are are really interesting. I was going to mention, you know, people understanding what is it that teachers learn in their ed schools? Yeah. And they learn a lot about people like Paolo Freire, right. who is a Marxist. And, you know, to say that to your average PTA mom, you know, they will, they'll look at you like what? And, and I get that because it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's just, it's not known and it sounds really bizarre, but it just, it, it's just, it, it is. So, I mean, you can look you know, at, you know, I've come, I, we talked about civics class or, you know, in this episode, I've come to the conclusion that civics class should not be about, you know, the founding of America. It really needs to be about the dangers of Marxism. Oh, well, that is the much more important message. It probably should be both, but, (laughs) but I realized that is the much more important. Now, obviously with the, you know, the signification of history, we've had Marxist history being taught for, for a generation or more in our schools, but if, you know, for, for legislatures and for governors and for people like Ron DeSantis, who really want to, you know, mandate, let's say, or, or have alternative viewpoints or mandate, you know, teaching about American history. I think the much more important lesson is the dangers of, you know, communism and Marxism, because I don't think kids under get that at all. No. And I see that's reflected in the positive views that people, we were talking last episode with Jeremy Adams of of how many young people have a positive, a more positive view of socialism than capitalism. And there are implications, you know, we were, I think earlier before that we we went on air um, talking about how many 18 to 29 year olds broke Democrat in the recent election. And I think they are largely being raised on a lot of these issues or these ideas, and they are not getting balance in the classroom. They are being taught, you know, by a teaching class that has largely been trained by some of these figures, you know, critical theorists and postmodernist thought and, you know, Paolo Freire. I really encourage people to go look them up because it is um, pedagogy of the oppressed is probably the most influential book for teachers um, in the education world. And I think that most people would probably not agree with a lot of his ideas. And so um, and this is effectively where the, the oppressor oppressed dichotomy came from that we hear so much about today. I mean, my view yeah, of a combination is, of sources, but but yeah, kind of all of all of the above kind of go there. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And so and, and you hear it. And I think one thing that would be helpful for parents to understand is that you think you hear things about, you know, looking at things through various lenses of, you know, race and gender and that very much descends from uh, the Freirean thought. Uh, if you look at, at how people are, you know, kids are taught critical thinking. And I think a lot of us take that to mean like you were taught to weigh, you know, the, the merit of ideas right, and right. to arrive at a conclusion. There's a school of thought that says, actually, it's a lot more about raising a critical consciousness 
so that you can basically, you know, um, critique society to the point where you tear down the institutions and create new ones that will finally be fair. And that really is, you know, it really is a part of some of the education these teachers are getting. And so, oh, yeah, for sure. Well, so yeah, my so, view of this is that you had, you had these Marx, you call them Marxist. I don't want to use the word philosophers because that kind of gives them too much credit, but um, you know, they realized that Marxism in that the, the workers, the proletariat are not going to rise up. It didn't happen because capitalists have, you know, made things better for everybody, but they still wanted a revolution. So they needed an alternative to the workers rising up and they right. found it in identity groups. And that's they where did. a lot and, of this came from. And, and through the institutions, it wasn't going to be economic. It was going to be cultural. Right. Um, and so, yes. Uh, so that is definitely something that I was, um, uh, boy, I, I started reading about uh, in about 2017 in the aftermath of it during and in the aftermath of it and have learned a lot since then. And so um, and ha- I'm happy that we have a way to share this with parents and there's a lot, lot more for people to learn, but yes, groups like ours, uh, new turn neighbors are trying to do our part locally. And um, so, and there are a lot of great people that are involved in this fight, including you, Andrew. All right. On that note, you want to wrap up? Sure. Uh, thank you again for listening. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it. Give us a positive rating wherever you access your podcast. And also please join us again. So on behalf of my co-host, Andrew Gutman, this is Beth Feely, and we'll be back soon with another episode of Take Back Our Schools. Ricochet. Join the conversation.